Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thanks, Nick and Jackie and worship team. Great job, right, guys? Thank you for serving us well. Back in 2008 and 2009, uh, my wife, Jessica, and I were preparing for a big cross-country move, and it was a move that was by faith already, and so we were a little nervous about it, and then we found out before the move that my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, Novi, and that complicated it a little bit, and then if you remember, in 2008 and in 2009, we were in the aftermath of a recession. Anybody recall that? I remember watching a news broadcast that said, here are the two main things to not do during the recession. One, do not quit your job. And we had just quit our job. And not only had we quit our job, but we had quit it without having a job to go to. It was just a move. (laughs) And two, do not leave your family. Stay near your family. And we had just made this decision to move 3,000 miles away. And for the first time in our pretty much newly wed lives, we were facing an incredible financial bind, and we literally had no idea what to do. Have you guys ever been in a situation in life where your supply does not equal your demand? Perhaps you've been in a situation where that gap is like a cavern, and that's how it was in this season of our life, and perhaps some of you guys are there right now. Look, these situations, sometimes they have nothing to do with us. It could be medical bills that pile up. It could be the loss of a job. It could be things that are completely out of our control. But then sometimes we're in situations like this because we've had poor financial stewardship. So we've lived not below our means, but above our means. And we've borrowed money from our future for today. And that's called the government style of finances, if you know what I mean. That was a joke. Didn't land. Joke, but truth. Did that land at all? Eventually, the bills catch up, and uh, you can't make your monthly payments. And if that's you, by the way, and you feel like your finances are in shambles, we are going to offer Financial Peace University again later this year. We did it in 2019, or early 2020, I guess, and had some folks go through it. We will offer it again. I really recommend that if you feel like you don't have um, good stewardship in place. But the reality is all of us either can remember or are currently in a time where we have known a financial bind. The series that we're currently in is looking at a very fascinating character in the Bible by the name of Peter. We're going to read some scripture today where his name was still Simon, but it was eventually changed to Peter. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He lived in a small fishing town, and he had a very quiet life. And last Sunday, we started the series and looked at the calling of Peter. And he had been out fishing all night uh, with his buddies, probably his employees. They didn't have a great catch. They were washing their nets in the morning. Jesus comes along and asks to preach a message from his boat. Peter says yes, and then Jesus says, go fish again. Peter says that makes no sense, but he does it. They catch an overwhelming amount of fish. Then on the biggest day of Peter's career regarding fishing, Jesus says, by the way, I'm changing your career. Now come follow me. And Jesus left a life of certainty as a fisherman for a life of uncertainty as a follower of Jesus. And the lesson from last week was that following Jesus requires sacrifice. Today is called Money in the Mouth of a Fish. We're looking at Matthew 17. Turn there in your Bible. 
Whether you have a hard copy Bible or virtual, we'll also have text on screen. We're picking up in Matthew 17, verses 24. Peter had a need. Now, it wasn't a huge need, but I believe that Jesus used this as a powerful opportunity to teach Peter and us a lesson for both life and ministry and how we approach finances. Matthew 17, verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? So the temple tax started back under the days of Moses in the Old Testament. Any male over the age of 20 had to pay this temple tax, probably annually, and it was not enforceable under Roman law, but the priests considered it a tithe, I mean, sorry, a sin not to pay the tax. It was different from the tithe. Peter replied, yes, he does. And then when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? In other words, Jesus was saying, should the son of God have to pay taxes in his father's house? Verse 26, from others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him, but so that we may not offend them. Let's pause there. Jesus basically is saying, I shouldn't be required to pay this tax, but I won't let something as minor as a tax be used against me, so I'll go ahead and pay it. And there's kind of a, a lesson in Scripture that we learn that Christians are free, but we must sometimes relinquish our rights to uphold our witness and not cause someone else to stumble. So Jesus says, so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch Open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. <laughs> Great plan, Jesus. That's like insanity, am I right? That doesn't make sense. Like, if someone in our church, I'll use Randy Mesh, who's beloved Randy the Rock in our church. If Randy came up to me and said, Nathan, I know you're having a problem with your taxes right now. You need a little extra money. Um, God gave me a prophetic word for you. Go out to the pond, throw a fishing line in there. Whatever fish you catch, open its mouth, and you're going to find some money in there. Now, because it's Randy, I'd at least hear him out, but I'd be thinking, Randy, I know some really good counseling services in Williamson County. I got some buddies. We can hook you up. Sliding scale, let's get you some counseling. <laughs> If I didn't know Randy and someone said that to me, I'd be thinking, yeah, we're a Pentecostal church. We attract the, the cuckoos as well. That would be my first thought. It's a crazy plan. Go to the lake and get a fish, and the money will be in its mouth. It seems like it makes no sense. And I want to lift off from the story for a second and just look at a couple principles that I think Peter was learning even in the moment that we can learn from. First of all, Peter... After Jesus, I'm sorry, after the tax collector talked with Peter, notice the first thing Peter did was he went to Jesus. And I think just in that, we can take a cue and a gentle reminder, um, don't exhaust every other option first. Go to Jesus first. Sometimes with financial strain, we turn to credit cards first. That's, that's a, not a good idea. Sometimes we go to other people and we think that because this person loves me, they should give me money when I'm in need. And I'm not saying that's bad. That can be a beautiful and wonderful thing. Some people do pray, but all they're praying for is the lottery or their role at the casino. And, and that's probably not the right approach. Nick keeps hooing for that one. 
And so I'm, I'm calling on Nick to lay down his idols today of the lottery and casino. That's a joke. The, the reality is that God is our only source, um, not just of life, but of the ability to generate wealth. And so it's good to go to Jesus first. And then notice this in verse 25. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. He said, what do you think, Simon? Don't forget, Jesus was not in the conversation that happened outside of the house with the tax collector. He wasn't even close enough to hear it. And when Peter walked in, Jesus first addressed him and said, what do you think? Peter knew exactly what was going on. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in Peter's heart and his mind. Sometimes when we're praying, we think we are informing God of everything that we need, and we are telling him what's going on like he doesn't know what's going on. Yet we have this wonderful promise in Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And that doesn't mean we don't pray. Of course, we're instructed to pray and even pray for specific needs. But how beautiful that we can pray knowing that our Father already knows what we need. That same chapter says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is amazing, that the creator of the heavens and earth, the God who is alive and outside of all time, knows what you need. Stop and think about that right now, just in this moment. What are you worried about in life right now? Your heavenly Father knows about that. What might be keeping you up a little bit? God is aware of that. God knows what's going down on in the deepest, sometimes darkest places that we don't want anyone else to know. So Jesus knew Peter needed this money to pay the taxes. Jesus gave him this crazy plan to go fishing and to take it and pay not only your taxes, but pay mine. This example seemingly is bizarre. Jesus often did things with people that made no sense to our human logic. I think Peter probably thought, wait a minute, Jesus, I know how to fish better than you. I was a professional fisherman. I had a business. The best way to catch fish is not with one line, which Jesus told him, fish with a line. The best way to catch, catch fish is with a net. And I've caught thousands of fish. I've never seen one fish with money in its mouth. I could see Peter saying, it's much easier to catch with a net, but Jesus didn't want Peter to catch a whole net full of fish. Jesus wanted Peter to catch one very specific fish, the right fish. There are thousands and thousands of fish in the Sea of Galilee, but Peter did not need to catch all of those fish. He only needed to catch the fish with the coin inside its mouth, and Peter had no control over which fish he would catch. All Peter could do was hold a fishing pole and trust what Jesus said. You ever feel like that in life? Hold the fishing pole and trust what Jesus said. God orchestrates events beyond your control. He's always working. He's always doing something. And I love the John Piper quote, God is doing more than 10,000 things in your life. You may be aware of three or four of them. That's not an indictment. That is good news because that means he's doing good. He's doing more. He's doing beyond what we can imagine. We can't work all this out, but he can. I believe the same for our church. It's interesting, too. God's plan necessitated Peter taking action. 
Peter had to put in some work, and it wasn't very spectacular work. In fact, it was, Peter, go do the job you used to do, but do it poorly in a way that you know isn't going to work very well, and through that, God is going to provide a miracle. Have you ever thought about the fact that sometimes God provides miracles through giving you work to do? I think sometimes we miss the provision of God because we want it to be free and we want it to be easy. We want it to be like the stories that we hear. Peter could have easily pushed back against Jesus. I think Peter could have potentially, depending on what was in his heart, he could have felt insulted and he could have walked out of the room and told some of his friends, can you believe what Jesus wants me to do? This is crazy. Why in the world would I go do something that I know how to do so much better than Jesus and do it in a way that's going to make me look foolish? Peter could have responded like that, and he could have just went to his buddy and said, hey, can I have a four-drachma coin? Jesus will never know. It would have revealed something in Peter's heart. Peter would have been disobedient. There's a principle all throughout Scripture. Blessing follows obedience. This is true when it comes to our finances. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Deuteronomy 11 says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods. And then in John chapter 3 in the New Testament, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. There's no way around this idea, and I know this is a hard word, but if you want to enjoy God's blessings, obedience is not an option. If you are not sensing his blessings and his abundance in your life, and I'm not talking about if you're having any trials, because trials are guaranteed, but the first thing to do is not to blame God, but to check your obedience. And I want to be careful here, because people, and I put myself in that category, we can sometimes confuse the love of God and the blessing of God. Unconditional love is a gift, but walking in the blessing of God takes obedience. So don't get this wrong. If you're feeling some conviction in your heart about disobedience in your life, don't for a second let that make you lie to you and, and, and get you to think that you're not the beloved of God. That's a gift. You are loved. You can't even mess up at all the love of God for your life. But the truth remains, to walk in that love and to walk in the life he has for us, we must Obey. I think we also often confuse the salvation of God and the blessing of God. Salvation is a gift, but walking in the blessing of God takes obedience. You have to be careful here. We don't obey our way into salvation. Salvation is a gift freely received, given by God. It costs God a lot, but it's free to us. Scripture is clear. We are saved through faith by grace so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. So be really careful here. We have to talk about obedience, and it's critical, but it is not the way that we are saved. I remember a season of doubt that I had in my life a number of years ago while I was pastoring, while I was still preaching the word. By the way, it's very much okay to wrestle with doubts in your own life. I think God calls us to wrestle with doubts. I think anyone who is honest with themselves wrestles with doubt sometimes. And here's this doubt that I was wrestling with at this season of my life. I was saying to God, why can't my relationship with you just be easy? Why does it require work on my part? After all, God, if this is all really true, why do I have to exert so much effort to know you, to have a relationship with you? Why do I have to learn about you and study your word? If this is true, just make it easy. Reveal yourself, show yourself to me. Why wouldn't you just do it that way? Has anybody ever thought things like that? 
I was just wondering, why, God? And why do I have to teach people that they have to study the word? Why would you set it up like that? Why, do they, why the effort? And this is an honest doubt. And it, and, it, and it ruminated down in my soul somewhere for probably a year. <laughs> and I was just talking to God about it. Why, Lord? Why, why did you set it up like that? And eventually, he began to, I believe, answer that question. And again, just be an honest seeker of God. Be honest about your doubts. Be honest in your seeking of God. And I think he started to say to me, Nathan, take inventory for a second of everything in your life that's valuable, every treasured relationship in your life. Every single one of them requires effort to flourish in the way that it is meant to flourish. In fact, everything you care about takes work. If I treated my relationship with Jess the way that I was talking to God in those moments, I would say, Jess, or I would say to God about my wife, Jessica, this, this marriage, even though we're 13, 14 years in, it felt really easy at first. It doesn't feel so easy right now. If it was real and true and it was love, it should be easy. The marriage would end pretty quick if that was my approach, right? The marriage takes work. Why? Because it's valuable. Why? Because love, after all, is a verb and not just a feeling. And it affects what you do. It affects where you place your affections. It affects how you build your relationships. Same to go with your kids. Same with your family. Same. Did anybody get my DC Talk quote? I'm just saying. Love is a verb. Anybody? I got one. I got two. Anybody? All right. All right. What was I talking about? Every time I do that, I lose my... It really helped me, though, because I realized, wow, God, in his wisdom and him knowing everything, if he just made our relationship with him super easy, it wouldn't be something of value. So we should seek after him. And God was so gracious with me in my doubt, to, and he's still in other things in my life, to allow me to come back to the point of obedience, right? Come back to the point of obedience, line back up and pursue him in the way that he called me to pursue him. You can never go wrong with obedience to God. Take it to the bank. If you're facing a decision, choose to obey God. If it's the hard way, choose to obey God. A lot of times it will be the hard way. If it's disobedience in relationships, it's disobedience with some certain temptation, it's disobedience in career. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. You can never go wrong with disobedience. Lack of obedience will cut off the blessing of God in your life. It is saying no to God and no to his commands that are given for you to flourish. I realize that's a hard word, but it's important that we talk about this. And it's important that we talk about it and, and distinguish it and separate, differentiate it from the love and the salvation of God. But obedience, you better believe it matters. This past week, I had to have a root canal. Anybody have root canals? <laughs> I've had a few in my life. Not fun. And, of course, they have to give you shots to numb you. Those aren't very fun. Anybody ever have a numbing shot, accidentally hit a nerve, and it feels like lightning? Oh, my goodness. Thankfully, that didn't happen to me this week, but I was praying, Lord Jesus, give this incredible doctor wisdom and grace. And Thankfully, it didn't hit a nerve. But it's always weird to me to pay so much money for someone to torture you for an hour. It's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> this is not what I want to be doing on my Wednesday afternoon. But in reality... I love getting a good root canal because I need that tooth to work. And in fact, while I'm getting it, I'm praying, let this dentist get way deep down in there into every nerve. I don't care how much it has to hurt right now. I need this tooth to work for the rest of my life. Take delight in the root canal. 
I think the same thing to a lesser degree with mouthwash. Like, don't give me mouthwash that tastes good. Give me mouthwash that stings because you know it's working. And all that to say, this sermon is a root canal. This sermon is mouthwash that stings. And we need that. We have to talk about the truth of God's word. Blessing follows obedience. There is no way around it, but it is so crucial to remember. It is the kindness of God that leads us to obedience, or repentance is what scripture says. It's his kindness that brings us there. Peter obeyed, even though it made no sense, and you see this start to become a habit for Peter. Radical obedience beyond all reservations. He threw his line into the water and waited for a nibble. I don't know how long it took, but eventually he noticed the cork begin to bob, disappeared under the surface of the water. He pulled back on the pole. He lifted the fish into the boat, and lo and behold, he opened the mouth of a fish and found the exact amount needed to pay the tax. The right fish was at the right place at the right time with the right amount. God's divine appointments will never disappoint you. But the only way to get to God's divine appointments is to live a life of obedience when it doesn't make sense. That's what I want for my life. Have you ever tried controlling your own life? How did it go? Have you ever imagined what would happen if every desire you had was met? That wouldn't be great. God knows what's best for you. God sees the end from the beginning. God is your creator. God is the one who gives you promises that will work. The only thing that we can do and must do is obey him. And it's interesting. I wonder if when this happened, because I'm sure it made a stir, Peter must have told people, and they must have said, can you believe what happened? People probably started to try to copy that miracle, copy that obedience. Hey, go put a line in the Sea of Galilee. This is where Peter did it. See if you get some money in the mouth of that fish. And I'm sure it never happened again. But I think part of our human nature is to try to copy other people's obedience. And I just want to encourage you, fix your attention on your own obedience. God will speak to you. I believe God is speaking to you. You know what you're accountable for? Your obedience. Not your spouse's. Not your kid's. Not your grandkids, not your parents, not your sibling, not your employee, not your boss. You are accountable for your own obedience. It begs the question, how in the world did the coin get in the mouth of this fish? And scripture doesn't tell us, but just imagine with me for a second. I mean, I think probably someone in a boat in the Sea of Galilee threw or dropped the coin in the water, and as it drifted toward the bottom, one fish happened to swim by, catch it in its mouth, choose not to swallow it, and the fish kept it there until Peter caught that one fish. What are the odds of that happening? It's an only God miracle. And I have experienced only God miracles in my life and seen it in others' lives over and over again. You can never go wrong with obedience to God. When we got to the place where we were moving to back in 2009 and now into 2010, it was harder than we even imagined. And we were poorer than we even imagined. And we had our first kid and we were trying to plant a church and we were in a new place and we knew no one. And one of the things that we felt like God told us to do was build new relationships as much as possible. Just get with people. And I had one old acquaintance from my younger years in Virginia Beach, he, he was the big brother of the drummer in my high school band. 
And so he was an acquaintance. I didn't really know him. His name was Clay. And for those of you guys that know, my son's name is Clay. He wasn't named after this guy, but the fact that we love this Clay helped us still name our son Clay. And I reached out to Clay, who was out in LA, and we were just hanging out. And it turns out Clay was the music teacher for a private elementary school in Pacific Palisades, which is one of the most wealthy neighborhoods in LA. And Clay knew that I played music, and he said, Nathan, if you want, um, I know you're new here. I don't know what you're doing for money. Uh, do you want to teach some music lessons to kids in my school? I, I can get you in. People, he said, people try to get in here all the time to teach music, um, but you know, we don't accept them, but I know you. And I was like, really? Yes. Done. I got one student, and that literally, over two and a half years, turned into dozens and dozens and dozens of students, where I was hiring other teachers and taking a cut. It became a little business, and I was unqualified for the job, no music education, played by ear. I was teaching kids creativity and music, and I was teaching kids of parents that were professional musicians that were doing film scores for like Marvel movies and stuff, and I was teaching their kids, and, and they were paying me thousands of dollars a month and it provided for my wife and I to live in Los Angeles for two and a half years while we planted a church. To the point that when the church grew enough to pay us, Jess and I wondered, man, maybe we should keep this business going. We can make some money. Like maybe we're going to actually be able to buy a house in LA. We wondered. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, man, this could be lucrative. We really prayed about it. We, we honestly prayed about it because we thought maybe the Lord... I mean, we had never even done advertising. I mean, we had barely, we didn't even try, and it just worked. And we really felt, though, that God told us to let it go and, 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 and have a sole focus on what we were doing with the church plant. And so we did that, and we gave the whole school away. But another time, Jessica reminded me after first service, I forgot to say this. You're not going to believe this story. And then we're going to sing a hymn, that hymn again to close. Years later, we were still in, in that city, and... We had a house in Pennsylvania still that we were renting out that we owned. We were upside down on the house because of the recession. I bought it right before the recession. I wish God would have told me not to do that, but he didn't. We were losing money on this house. We were still struggling to get by in LA. We, had, we were just dirt poor. God was blessing us, but we were dirt poor. We probably had two kids by now, and maybe even three, and a big pipe burst in our house in Pennsylvania. And when you own the house, you gotta take care of everything that happens, even though it's 3,000 miles away. And the, that pipe burst was gonna be about $1,000 to fix. At this point, we were already losing close to 400 a month on that house with a tenant in it while we're struggling out to do what we're doing. It's crazy. We couldn't sell it. We just were, we, it was like, like those Red Sea moments. We just don't know what to do. We don't even have this $1,000. And we had a trip uh, where Jess and I got to spend some time with uh, a pastoral couple that was mentoring us. And so my mom flew out to LA to watch our kids while we did this little trip. And my mom was burdened about the pipe in the house that we had to fix. She didn't have the money to easily give us. She was spending money to be with us on that trip and watch our kids. And one day when the kids were uh, at school or something, my mom went to a thrift store to shop a little bit. Thr thrift stores in Santa Monica are pretty good shopping because you go, it's like pretty good stuff you find at the thrift store. And she was shopping there and she tried on some sort of dress and she said she was literally praying for God to provide for us for that pipe. And in the pocket of the dress, what cash, $1,000. And she, wait, let me finish, let me finish. She went, I mean, my mom is my mom, so she's, she's gonna exhaust every option to get it, that money back to the owner. So she went to the thrift store you know, clerk and said, hey, this was in the pocket, 
did someone drop it? Do you guys take this? What's the policy? And they said, if you buy the dress, the money's yours. So she paid like the seven bucks for the dress or whatever, and the thousand dollars was hers. Then she called the police. This is my mom. She said, hey, I found a thousand dollars. I want to find out if someone lost it. Did anyone report a thousand dollars missing? She was probably thinking like, Whoever was shopping there didn't have a ton of means. So she was like, let me get this back to them. So she exhausted every option. The police said, no, no reports. The money's yours. And so when we got back from our trip, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy story. I don't even believe it. But we got back from the trip. And my mom, I thought she was joking. She said, hey, I was praying for your pipe. And I, I found $1,000 cash in the thrift store. And no one else wants it. It's for you guys in the pipe. <laughs> it's crazy. Jess and I were sitting after the first service right here. So many things that God has done to show himself faithful, and I bet the same is true in your life. Yet we still doubt him. Yet we sometimes still wonder, should we radically obey? Why would we ever wonder that? So the encouragement as we close in this root canal type sermon is, Lord, let's just pray. Pray with me, guys. Take us back to our last area of disobedience. Forgive us, and we want to bring our lives into obedience. In the context of your unconditional love and this great salvation, we want to bring our lives into obedience. We want to do this by truly leaning on the everlasting arms. We're not actually leaning if we're not radically obeying. Teach us what it is to obey. Teach us what it is to obey, Lord. Let us forget the obedience of others. Forget the obedience of our spouse or our friend or family member. God, we fix our attention on you and what you're saying to us, to me. Lead us in the way everlasting, God. Remind us of your faithfulness, God. You are God. We are not. Let's sing this simple hymn, church. Make an altar at your seat. Let's just respond to the Lord as we just stay in prayer. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet and you want to follow, just pray with me. Lord, I want to know you. I put my faith in you. Ask for forgiveness where I fall short. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I commit my life to you. I want to be like Peter that hears your call to follow and leaves everything to go. Leave the certainty for the uncertainty. But in reality, there's so much certainty in following you, God. You are the source. And church, if you're here and you've just been wandering, let's just say, Lord, we want to bring our lives back in obedience. Forgive us where we have run the other way. Forgive us for, for where we have knowingly obey, disobeyed. And forgive us for where we have unknowingly disobeyed. We return with our whole hearts to you, God. Lord, I pray that every person here will get so familiar with that place of your embrace where we are returning, where we are celebrating repentance, where tears are coming down our cheeks and where we're falling again into your embrace. That's my favorite spot with you, Lord. We can melt in your arms. Thank you for this great salvation. Thank you for this unconditional love. In Jesus' name.